0: You would please take your Bibles and turn in them to the book of Colossians, chapter 1 in your New Testaments. As you're doing that, let me just repeat again the announcement that was made at the beginning about our, our prayer book for those who might have come in since that announcement was made. Uh, there's a notebook being passed around. It's, I guess it's going to kind of wander back on this side and then it'll come forward on the other side. That is our new community prayer book. Uh, we want to be more active in praying for one another and knowing how we can be for one another. So that's just for uh, you to share prayer request in, which is coming through the aisles, and, and it encourages you if we can pray for you in any way. Please write that in there. Uh, that's a book that will come to the elders and I at the end of the service, so we can be praying for you, but sort of by the nature of it, everyone gets to see what is in there, so we can be praying for one another throughout the week as well and holding one another up in prayer something that is very important for us to do, a great way for us to demonstrate very practically love for those in our community by praying for each other. Of course, uh, if you have something that is sensitive or you'd rather not put it in the prayer book just yet, you're always welcome to let me or one of the elders know uh, outside the prayer book as well. But we want to make more avenues uh, for us to be active in praying for each other. So know what, know what that is. That's the book that is being passed around. We wanna, that's going to be a new tradition that we do here on a weekly basis. We've begun this new series going through the book of Colossians for the next couple of months. We're in chapter 1. One of the things I said last week as we were looking at chapter 1 is, is just how much I have come to appreciate the prayers that are recorded for us in Scripture, as well as the places sort of like this. This is not a, a prayer technically. This is Paul telling us what he prayed for the Colossians, and he's telling the church there how he's praying for them. Uh, He's relating to them the way that he's holding them up in prayer, ministering to them before the Father, taking their needs to the throne of grace, the things he really desires for them. It it seems that there's just something very sweet about hearing when a, a, a godly person goes before the Lord in prayer and having the opportunity to overhear the communion that they have with God in prayer. And that's what was happening here in these verses. We have a chance to sort of eavesdrop and listen in on uh, Paul and his prayers for the Colossians. So I'm going to read for us Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. And let me ask, if you're able, would you please join me in standing as we read his holy word together? Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. Patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray one more time. Father, we are so grateful that you have given your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit for our teaching, our edification our growth in grace, our increase in the knowledge of God with all wisdom and understanding unto the end of bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in endurance and patience with joy. Lord, would you accomplish these things? We ask that you would continue your good work that you have begun by the power of your spirit, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I love to read the prayers that start these books. It's, it's so easy, isn't it, to read this and, and to feel that there's this chapter worth of introductory material. It feels a little bit perfunctory. We know he's going to introduce himself, give a greeting, and start with prayer. That's what he does. And yet, the, the prayer that he relates is so significant. It's always tailored to the particular congregation to whom he is writing, and it is worthy of our study today, I, I notice in particular how different Paul's prayers and the prayers of Scripture often are from my own prayers. That, that they have a, I don't want to say a majesty or a height to them, but but they are, their, their tone is different. It's easy for us, isn't it, to fall into the habit of always taking our particular felt needs before the Lord in prayer, which is good. Jesus tells us to do that. The Bible says, cast all your cares on Him because he cares for you. And yet the prayers that are modeled often go beyond felt needs to some of the the true desires that God has for his people, such as this prayer, which is praying that the people in this church will be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, these are great things that Paul is praying for the church. And what I want us to do is to encourage all of us to take these prayers and make them our own. So whoever's got the book right now, you can just copy this and you'll win the prayer book today. <laughs> this, is a, this is a model prayer for us that Paul is praying. He's praying for fruitfulness. He's praying for endurance with Joy. He's praying for knowledge and understanding. One old Puritan, Thomas Watson, once said, Many people complain that their circumstances are no better, but very few people complain that their character is no better. And yet we turn to these prayers, and the prayers of the Bible are often praying for matters of character, matters of the heart, that we will be growing in grace. In fact, as we... As we look at this prayer, as we've read it and we're going to study it a little bit here today, let me just propose this question to you. What do you think might happen if we began praying that we will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might? Well, let me suggest that one thing that might happen is that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. After all, God delights to hear the prayers of his people. He delights for us to bring prayers to him, and he delights, I believe, to answer prayer. Do you want to be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might? I do. That's something I want for myself. That's something I want for all of us. I want us to have greater endurance, greater patience with joy. And I I think one result, if we began to pray for patience with joy, could be that God, by his spirit at work in our hearts, could begin to help us grow in patience with joy. Sometimes, it, it, don't we slip into a little bit of unbelief when we pray? Right? We, we begin to pray uh, over and over, and it just becomes rote, and, and we almost lose that sense of expectancy that God, the Almighty God, is hearing His children's prayers and that He answers prayer. Right? Sometimes when we pray for one thing for so long, and the Lord asks us to have endurance and patience and to wait on the Lord... To be strong and wait for the Lord, we can start to think that's the way life always will be, that these prayers will never be answered, that it's always a matter of waiting. And yet, God answers prayers. There is grace with Him to hear our prayers. So I want us to simply look at three things. If we ask the question of this passage, how do we pray? How should we be praying? How can we use this as a model in our prayer lives? Here's three things. One, Paul prays for the knowledge of God's will he prays for wisdom and discernment and he prays with gospel confidence so he prays for knowledge of god's will for wisdom and discernment he prays with gospel confidence first of all the first thing he prays for them is that they will have the knowledge of god's will now now this is a very logical prayer there's a bit of a progression that moves through this prayer he's praying first that they will be filled with the knowledge of the will of god uh, with spiritual wisdom and understanding verse 10 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god Th- there's a goal there there's an end point in this prayer he he wants the people to be bearing fruit in every good work to be living a life that is fully pleasing to god that is the goal but to get there to get to that goal of bearing fruit first, Paul prays that they will be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, right? Which we see how logical that is, that that makes sense, that before you can do the will of God, you have to know the will of God. And you have to know what God desires in order to live a life that is fully pleasing to him. But nevertheless, how, how often do we follow Paul in this and pray, Lord, help us to know your will. Help us to be filled with the knowledge of of your will. Now, remember for Paul, this is a very practical prayer, right? Because we've talked about the church that's here at Colossae, that they have false teachers that have have either come out of the church or have have come from the outside, possibly into the church, that are, are spreading false teaching about what God desires, about what kind of life is fully pleasing to the Lord. And so there's false teachers that are filling their minds with other things. So Paul very practically prays, Lord, allow these people's minds to be filled with the true knowledge of your will. Because there are other sources of knowledge out there that are trying to fill their minds. And there's other people out there who are are vying to fill their minds with other things. And I think a prayer like that is just as practical for us as it ever was for them. That it's practical for us to pray that, that our minds will very actively be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. That we will be active in thinking about what God desires from us. right? Because even for us, there's no shortage of other things that will be filling our mind. And so the prayer is that we will have a commitment to Christ that uh, is a commitment to following him, a commitment to bearing fruit for him. And he's saying these commitments ought not to be this sort of back burner commitment in our lives. Right, we talked about how one of the, the big picture items in Colossians is that, uh, that, that our commitment to the gospel cannot be compartmentalized in life. But rather, the gospel has power to transform every area of our lives. And, and the first step in that is he's saying that our minds must be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. We can't compartmentalize it, we can't back burner the knowledge of the will of God. Now, he's going to get to chapter 3. In chapter 3, he exhorts them. Uh, it's 315. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I, I take that to be a very challenging exhortation. And he's saying, don't, don't simply allow the, the word of God to be stagnant and allow it to become something that is stale in our lives. Uh, That that can happen. We can grow to a sense of over-familiarity with the Bible. We can simply read it and say, well, we've, we've read this before. We know what this says. We feel like we know the meaning. And so, because we know the meaning, we feel like there's nothing left, no work for this scripture to do in our hearts. But he says, no, you must be actively filling your minds with it that it may dwell in you richly. That it can be doing its work in your heart. Remember, the word of God is is living and active, right? It's sharper than a double-edged sword. This is not not a, a dead letter. This is not a stagnant book. This is not like every other book we read. Rather, this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is a living and active word that is given to us for our good, for our transformation, for our joy, for our holiness, for our patience, for our endurance, God gives the word of God to the people of God in order that by the power of the Spirit of God we might bear fruit in every good work. That is the purpose for which God has given us his scriptures. To make us people who live lives fully pleasing to God. And and to say that 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 is the purpose he's given us this for. And so we are to, to receive the gift, we are to read it with that purpose in mind that God desires us. To let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. And as it dwells in us, it is doing its work. And it's it's active. It works in our hearts, it accomplishes his purpose. But one of the ways that God accomplishes his purpose is by the Spirit of God applying the Word of God. And so if the Word of God is not there, if it's not if the raw materials just aren't aren't in your heart, then, then the Spirit of God doesn't have his usual tools to work with, to do his good pleasure in our lives. God says the, if the word is there, the spirit will apply it. He'll press it on our hearts. And so we are to fill our minds with it. Fill our minds with it. And I don't think, I know some people say, we talk about memorization sometimes of God's word, which is a, a wonderful practice, but some people say, oh, I, I just can't do it. I have, a, I have a bad memory. I don't remember anything and we sort of give up on that. I, I don't think this means we have to necessarily memorize the scripture, at least in the sense of memorizing it for forever and ever, amen. There's a, t- a sense in which we can memorize it and say, Lord, help me to remember this today. And if I don't remember it by the end of the week, that's fine. But Lord, help me meditate on this for today. Help me ponder the truths of the word of God and let them dwell in my heart richly today. And tomorrow I will refresh my mind with some new truth. Okay, it it doesn't have to be forever, but long enough that the Spirit will use it. And we know, don't we? I mean, we live in a world that is eager to fill our minds with all sorts of other things. We know that reality so well. I mean, when we're watching TV, the TV is eager to fill our minds with all sorts of whatever, desire for whatever is being advertised or the particular worldviews that are trying to, to be pushed on us. We use social media, it's filling our minds with the things that are on social media, the trends of the day. But Even just living in this world, right? It, it, regardless of whether we interact with technology or not, just, just life fills our minds with things. If it's our schedule, a grocery list, the, the, something about the person we're meeting later in the day, our minds are filled with all sorts of practical things that we need for daily living. And, and none of that stuff is necessarily bad. right? It's, it's not saying that uh, there's only evil things in the world and, and then there's the Bible saying, of all the things, focus on God's word. Focus on God's word. Yes, uh, there are many other things to think about that we must remember in the course of, of daily life, but you see, Paul is praying. He's praying for them that they might know the will of God. Because he knows that... that It it doesn't matter. I mean, they lived in Colossae. They didn't have TV. They didn't have social media. But they still had enough distractions in daily life that, that it was worth him taking that before God and saying, Lord, please may their minds be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. If they needed it then, how much more do we need it now? If we are not actively filling our mind, someone else will be glad to do it for you. And so he prays that they'll have knowledge, knowledge of the will of God But that's not enough. Second, he goes on, he prays, they will also have spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is just the end of verse 9, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so, again, there's a, a very logical progression here. Step one is have the raw materials. Have your mind filled with the knowledge of the will of God. But also, it must be accompanied by all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the reason is because we're heading towards this goal, right? The end goal of this prayer is that they may bear fruit in every good work. So he's praying that there's a, a life transformation that is going on in the people of, these, uh, of this church, that, that they might bear fruit. So just praying for the knowledge of the will of God, that's not an end in itself. And neither is praying for spiritual wisdom and understanding an end in itself. The end is, is where we're getting to when he prays that they might then walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And we don't want to lose sight of the goal. We don't want to get caught up in in the uh, you know, all the things that that Christians are supposed to do, or the views we think Christians are supposed to have. The role of the Spirit in the lives of our, of believers is to help us bear fruit. Right? It is our Christian commitment, is our Christianity, causing us? to have a life that is filled with greater joy. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? That if the Spirit is actively working in our hearts, we ought to be growing in love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We need this prayer. We need this prayer to say, Lord, please, may we know, have the knowledge of your will with spiritual wisdom, with spiritual wisdom, Wisdom, and that's that's where Paul goes next. That it might be accompanied with wisdom, because how do we get to this point where we're actively bearing fruit? To actively bear fruit, we have to have the spiritual wisdom to do it, because uh, he's talking about this huge goal, bearing fruit in every good work. And that that's not simple. That that's a difficult thing. It's a complex thing, and so there's wisdom that is needed. What is wisdom? I heard one pastor define wisdom saying simply this way. He said, Wisdom is the ability to make the right decision in the 90% of life in which the moral rules don't apply. The ability to make the right decision in the 90% of life in which the moral rules don't apply. And here's what he meant. He said, uh, you know, th- maybe there's 10% of life where th- the moral rules do apply, such as, If you have a decision to make, and the decision is, should I lie, or should I tell the truth? Okay, that's pretty easy. We don't even have to pray about that one. We can just go to scripture, chapter and verse, look it up, we know exactly what to do. Life is rarely that simple, is it? What if the question is not, should I lie or not, but what if the question is, how can we best actively demonstrate the love of Christ to perhaps a family member who is actively pursuing a very worldly lifestyle those questions can be very difficult those questions can be very hard to know what what is the best route to take there's many different avenues perhaps to show the love of Christ do we you know how much do we simply support and demonstrate our love by our presence how much do we want to maybe confront with truth because we know truth is good for them they need this Those are very different pictures of of how do we actively take these steps. And, And that's a place where you can't simply turn to chapter and verse and say, okay, here's exactly my situation, what do I do? What we need instead is we need spiritual wisdom and understanding. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives to say, okay, I have the knowledge of the will of God. I know what God desires. I want to bear fruit in this. But how do we get there? We need wisdom to sort of bridge that gap in the active, everyday situations of life. Maybe your question is something like, I have children, and I struggle to know on a daily basis how do I balance firmness in discipline with showing them grace and modeling that in in practical life. I I want to be firm in discipline. We have to hold the line on certain family rules, but we want to be gracious. How do we make those two things meet in everyday family life? Again, that we can't go to chapter and verse. We need wisdom to apply the knowledge of the will of God that we get from the scriptures and then move to saying, how can I actively bear fruit in family life? And that will look different in different families. Maybe your question is is about your marriage. And you feel like you've gotten to a place where it's very difficult. And you want to do what is right. You want to to show love to them, you want to show grace, but you just have tried every different way and and nothing is working and you know the will of God and you want to bear fruit. How do we bridge that gap? You need spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's often difficult in our uh, vocations, at work, right? When we we want to be bearing fruit and doing what is right, but we're in a context, maybe you're surrounded by unbelievers. Maybe you're even surrounded by uh, people who, you know, Whatever it takes to get ahead, you do, even if that's cheating, lying, or stealing. And you say, how can I bear fruit for Christ in a context like this where where I'm surrounded by other people who simply do not care about that? It's all about getting ahead. We can't just turn to to chapter and verse. We need wisdom from the Spirit of God to help us bear fruit in difficult situations. This is what I mean by the 90% of real life situations where the very simple moral rules don't don't apply or or they do apply but they don't help uh, because the situations are complex that's why paul is praying fill our minds lord with the knowledge of the will of god that's where we begin may we have the the base of knowledge to work with all the raw materials the will of god what is right what he desires what is pleasing to him second lord add that layer of spiritual wisdom and understanding Because we need the power of the Spirit to be able to walk through everyday life in order that we might now bear fruit in every good work. Every good work. He's praying that our home lives, our family lives, will begin to see new fruit of the Spirit starting to to bud out and grow and flower. And the same for our vocational life, our work life, seeing new fruits of the Spirit produced. Even our recreational lives our personal lives, our time-off lives, that there will be fruit being born, every good work. Paul's not naive. The Bible is not naive. Paul Paul was a pretty savvy guy. He knew that life in this world was complex and that when our Christian convictions that we hold are coming up against real-life situations in this fallen world, that there are some very difficult and sticky situations that, that we get into that we will face dilemmas, that it won't always be clear. You say, uh, you know, sometimes we just feel like it's, you know, the Bible provides too easy of answers that don't help us. Paul's praying, no, we need that wisdom. We need spiritual wisdom to help live a life that is pleasing to the Lord in every good work. Remember what James says, James chapter 1. and He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, Does anyone lack wisdom? He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. That's the promise. That's the promise. If you you lack wisdom, ask the Lord and he gives it to you. That's exactly what Paul is doing. He's praying for the church. He says, Lord, they need wisdom. Would you give it to them? All spiritual wisdom, all understanding that they might live a life fully pleasing to the Lord. So he prays for knowledge, he prays for wisdom in order that they might walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Uh, and now look at, look at down at verse 12, and, and he ends by praying with gospel confidence. And here's the, sort of the foundation. This is the basis of this prayer, in all prayers, is that he has gospel confidence. The end of this prayer, verses 12 through 14, as he says, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The more I read this prayer, there is something so powerful about ending the prayer this way, about ending with thanksgiving, and with praise. And many of you have probably learned the, the very easy and simple prayer acronym that we, the ACTS, right? A C T S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. I've used that for many years just as a very simple guide. So when I don't know what to pray for, Lord, how do I pray? But Paul's flipping that right Ad- A- A- acts gives us adoration first confession and thanksgiving and then we end with supplication and there's some logic to that right the priority is to praise God to come into worship and adoration of him and then only after that do we bring our needs to him but Paul flips it and he starts his prayer with the needs of the people the things that he is requesting and he ends with praise and adoration and thanksgiving for the work of the the Lord in their lives. And I think there's something powerful about that as well. That that first, you get your needs out there and you ask the Lord for what you want, desire, what you need, what the Spirit has put on your heart, His will. But then, it's like you bring all of that into the greater context of what the Lord is doing. You sort of have a chance then to almost step back from your own needs, right, and say, Lord, here are here are my cares. Let me unburden myself to you. Let me cast all my cares on you. That's the will of God for us to do that. But then almost to step back and say, now, let me simply praise you for the far greater picture of what is going on and to give thanks that that you are our Father, that you have qualified us to share in the inheritance with the saints in light. And, right, that... The, Gives us a whole new perspective that we don't end our prayer with our lives, with our needs, with our uh, performance and, and our petitions, but to end with the Lord, with giving thanks. Notice here's the description. Here's what he's giving thanks for. First, that the Father has qualified them to share in the inheritance, he has qualified them, past tense. They are already qualified. In other words, he's just prayed all this stuff, Lord, give them knowledge, give them wisdom, may they bear fruit, because they are already qualified. None of that stuff is what qualifies them to share in the inheritance of the Father. Their inheritance to be a part of that, to be an heir with Christ, that doesn't depend on their performance, on whether or not they end up with knowledge of the will of God, whether or not they demonstrate great wisdom and bear a certain amount of fruit in every good work. No, he says... Lord, you have already qualified them to share in the inheritance. Your share is already secured for you because of what God has done for you in Christ. And this is the confidence that we have in approaching God in prayer, that we are his children, that we have a part in the inheritance. And so we know that if he is our father, that he delights to hear our prayers. He delights to hear his children come to Him with our needs and our petitions and our requests. He says, verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Again, Paul is just reviewing all of the gospel blessings that are already His in Christ. That God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His Beloved Son, and are we to think, therefore, that God who has done this, who has saved us, who has transferred us into the kingdom of His Son, is somehow now not willing to also strengthen us for every good work? Is somehow not going to be willing to give us the ability to live a life that is pleasing to God? You know, see, Paul is going from the greater to the lesser here. He says, God has already done this this work of his grace and salvation for you in Christ, how much more is he willing now to hear your prayers? Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his only Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously, give us all things? That's the confidence that we have in approaching God in prayer, is we can simply look at what he has done for us in Christ and say, Lord, if that is true, then these, these petitions are exactly in line with your will. We know we can pray to be given spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to bear fruit. That's exactly what the Lord desires and what he wants us to be praying for. And if he has given us Christ, how much more is he willing to give us knowledge of his will, wisdom, to be pleasing to him in every good work, ability to have endurance and patience with joy, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. This is the basis. He ends with this foundation. See, in a way, what he's doing here, it, this is what we mean when we pray, when we end our prayers saying, in Jesus' name I pray. What are we saying when we say that? We're, we're basically doing what Paul is doing. We're, we've just condensed it. right? We've abbreviated it. Paul expands on it. And he reviews these gospel blessings. And, and he says, Lord, we're giving thanks to you because you have given us a share in the inheritance with all the saints in light. That's through Christ. You have transferred us out of the domain of darkness into the domain of Christ. This is all what Jesus has accomplished for us. And that's the foundation of prayer. Well, we do all that. We just condense it and say, in Jesus' name. Right? That's not a simply a rote way to end prayer. We're doing what Paul is doing here. And I think, can be really helpful, at least to my heart sometimes, to expand it again. To expand it and say, here's my request, Lord, but also, let me step back and, and review the blessings that are already mine in Christ. So we pray with this gospel confidence. We're not throwing up our wishes into the air, hoping that someone hears them. We're praying to the Lord who has already given his son for us how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So we pray for the knowledge of his will to fill our minds. We pray for the spiritual wisdom and understanding to be able to use that knowledge in order to bear fruit. And then we pray all these prayers with the great confidence that we have through Christ, a gospel confidence in coming before him. Amen. Let's pray to the Lord together. Father, we give you thanks today that you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That you have delivered us from the domain of darkness, that you have transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we ask that you would take your word. Lord, would you by the power of your spirit press it on our hearts? Use it to accomplish your purposes. Use it as the double-edged sword that divides between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. Accomplish your purpose in our hearts through your word. We pray that it would bear fruit, that the seed which is sown will take root in good soil, bearing fruit 30, 60, 100 times that which was sown. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.